Welcome back to another edition of the Unofficial Guide Disney Dish Podcast with Jim Hill, Thailand Testa. And we're, today we're continuing our chronological Disney discussion covering the years 1976 to 1981. Remember last time we talked about the Bicentennial Parade, that, uh, that Disney had, uh, parades and events that Disney had done on both coasts. And now this is sort of the rest of the decade where Disney is facing increased competition from other theme parks. To talk about this story, we bring in our own venerable wizard, Mr. Jim Hill. Jim, how's it going? I'm doing great, Lynn. Yourself? I am doing well. Kids are back in school. It's the most wonderful time of the year. (laughs) (laughs) Very true. Very true. (laughs) Everyone else was drinking mimosas at the bus stop, right? I was. Yeah, that's that's right. (laughs) Goodbye. Bye. All right. so, So last episode, we had talked about the... The bicentennial and the way Disney had celebrated it on both coasts. And before that, we had sort of talked about how in Disneyland in Southern California, you had started to see sort of thrill rides popping up at Six Flags and at uh, Knott's Berry Farm. Yeah, and uh, to be specific, Knott's in, uh, what was it, 75? I mean, think about it. Disney in the Southern California market, it's all about looking backwards. They've put uh, America Sings out there, which is a celebration of American song. They've got America on Parade, their Bicentennial Parade. And they've even put Mr. Lincoln back into the Opera House. Uh, you know, people forget that in... 73 of thereabouts, they put the, the Walt Disney Story exhibit in, and which really didn't go over well with the conservative folks in Orange County. They called, they wrote letters, and Disney eventually sort of caved and created this really awkwardly titled show called The Walt Disney Story, featuring great moments from Mr. Lincoln. And trust me, folks, is one of the guys behind the unofficial guy Disney Just with Jim Hill podcast. I know awkward titles. (laughs) This was a bad title. No, but it wasn't as if they were constantly looking backward. During the same period, you know, Disney finally rolls out Mission to Mars as a replacement for Flight to the Moon. Problem is, of course, it's been six years since we got to the moon. So, you know, kind of not on the ball here. Well, meanwhile, down the street at Knott's, May of 1975, they opened the first corkscrew coaster. It's it's, uh, Aero Development puts it together for... You know, a kind of astounding fee for that period, at least for knots of a million dollars. And, mm-hmm. but it was a minute and 15 minutes, again, minute and 15 seconds, you know, that it reach a top speed of 32 miles an hour. And with two six car trains, they could get uh, about 1600 people an hour through this thing. It's and that number for knots, the 1600. No, an hour? Yeah. no. And, and, but it had, you know, an obvious bump in attendance to the park, which did not go unnoticed in the Southern California market. So, Literally one year later, Magic Mountain unveils the Great American Revolution. This is the first vertical looping coaster. I, evidently, this is for coaster folks. This is a, a big difference that Magic Mountain's coaster, or excuse me, corkscrew. The loops are barrel rolls, not vertical loops. Yes, that's completely different. I just I'm careful. saying as I give you a critical look. Careful, then. You do not want the American, the ace folks, the American coaster enthusiasts to come down hard on you. Speaking of competition in the market, just in in one nine-month-long period over at Universal Studios, they they introduced that uh, revolving tunnel glacial thing that that was at the park for for decades, and they also roll out on on the heels of the success of Jaws the movie, mm-hmm. the Jaws Amity Harbor scene where the giant rubber shark comes out of the water at you, and and then not doubles down, and they open their Roaring Twenty section with the now beloved but long gone Knott's Berry tales ride that really crump designed so suddenly disneyland is facing a lot of competition in the southern california market and 
and let me be blunt here, folks. The Disneyland Resort still dreams of someday becoming a destination resort like Walt Disney World. The hard reality is Disneyland Park is basically the world's most famous regional theme park. Yeah. And the people who run Disneyland are keenly aware of what their competition are up to, is up to and have have been this way for decades, which is why if you weren't aware of the, you know, the 14-acre Star Wars land that was announced just last month at the D23 Expo, that that's Disneyland's response to the Wizarding World of Harry Potter that'll be opening up at Universal Studios Hollywood next spring. Well, you know, I have a used Sarlacc pit to sell you. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah so. you know, the, the funny thing was talking about this current event thing. Yep. When Disneyland was talking to Anaheim about the possibility of not taxing ticket sales, which is, I guess, a long-running thing in Anaheim where, where the, yeah, the gate fee yep. the, the gate fee is, is not taxed. Disney's saying that they were prepared to spend a billion dollars. If I was the city council mm-hmm. of Anaheim and I wanted to you know, play hardball with them, I, I would have said, okay, so Universal Studios Hollywood is going to open Harry Potter and you're not going to do anything? Is that your plan? To spend no money? That's your plan? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And 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 never mind the fact that, you know, Disney has been paying the gate fee in Orlando for how many decades yeah, now? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Not not entirely the Disney company's proudest moment there, but anyway. Anyway, getting back to 76 now, just as America on parade is winding down its 15-month run, mm-hmm. there is all of this construction going on behind the scenes in that narrow piece of backstage turf between Tomorrowland and, and Main Street USA. To be specific, we're talking 45 concrete pilings being driven deep into the ground, and on top of these pilings, there's 36 steel support beams that are being craned into place to make this futuristic structure. A thing that Walt himself had once dreamed that would serve as this sort of the sunning visual uh, centerpiece for the new Tomorrowland that he, he wanted to open at Disneyland in 1967. And this was Space Mountain. So Space Mountain, so this word, well, it's been dead almost 10 years. He's been dead 10 years. Yeah, yeah, and and the weird thing is this idea literally was originally proposed in the fall of 64, though oh. then it was called Spaceport and then for a time Space Voyage. It wasn't till June of 66 that Walt decided, eh, we got Matterhorn Mountain, we should really call this Space Mountain. Intriguing thing about this, back when Walt was originally proposing at Lenny, it wasn't a single track thrill ride into a roller coaster. In fact, this was a, a thrill ride that had four separate tracks, and not only that, the ride vehicles came out of the mountain and rode around the exterior before plunging back in. Oh, uh, really? Because in the, in the concept art, you see mm-hmm. sort of these spirals going around the top of the mountain. So the mountain is sort of like a, a, a cone shape, yep. a, mm-hmm. a, an elaborate sort of rounded cone. But mm-hmm. in, and in the concept art, you you see spirals going around it, and that I guess it was supposed to be the uh, the track. Yeah, and and what was kind of intriguing again, borrowing from the Matterhorn playbook, Walt was concerned that if people entered the park and just saw this giant white cone shape, they wouldn't know what it was, and they wouldn't queue up for it. So he thought, well, look, one of the things that draws people to the Matterhorn is that periodically the track comes outside and right. you hear people screaming or laughing or whatever. And it's like, okay, that's a thrill ride. I want to get in line for that. Mm-hmm. So that was what Walt asked John Hench to do. Design me a version of this ride that come outside of the mountain so people would see it. And more to the point, because they had learned the hard way, 
that the Matterhorn really didn't have great capacity, so rather than the two tracks that were inside the Matterhorn, he wanted four tracks. But anyway, you know, as, as you know, Walt passes in December of 66, and this idea gets tabled at that point. Just to be fair here, it only gets revived when, you know, the Magic Kingdom in Florida opens up and they realize that, wow, we don't have any thrill rides here. Mm. And, you know, as they're entering their second year of operation, it was like, okay, let's let's pull that out of mothballs and let's simplify it. So, you know, rather than the uh, four track, let's go with single track. It takes them 25 months. They begin construction December of 72. Mm-hmm. And to get it done, they have to get the world's largest construction crane, the Sky Horse, really? in place in Orlando to get this thing done. But finally, January 75, Space Mountain opens up, 2,000-piece band lining the people mover track. And, and Len, it, you know, you'll love this. You know, And I'm sure the environmentalists of Florida enjoyed this as well. The opening of the attraction was commemorated with the release of 50,000 balloons, which... Sure. Yeah, manatees are still choking on. <laughs> um, <laughs> still killing wildlife to this day. So here's my question about, about Space Mountain. Why are there two different versions in Orlando and Disneyland? Well, if they'd gone with the original footprint, the, the, the original ride layout, that sort of thing, for Anaheim, the ride building itself would have dwarfed everything else in the park. In fact, in order to lower it so that it didn't overwhelm Sleeping Beauty Castle and everything on Main Street, mm-hmm. they dug down 17 feet below the surface of Disneyland just to, to lower the profile of the building. They had so much real estate to deal with in Florida that you know they could actually put the show building itself outside of the train tracks. Where, you know, if you put the show building outside of the train tracks in Anaheim, it's in the middle of Harbor Boulevard, which, you know, just minor traffic (laughs) sets. The the on-ramp on Harbor Boulevard these days is just incredible. So in in Orlando, there are two side-by-side tracks. Right. In Disneyland, there's one. There's one because that's all they could fit, you know. Oh, didn't know. So, All right, good to know. But anyway, again, same problem. This is a huge, lengthy build behind the scenes, very complicated. So it takes 23 months. And Disney knows that, you know, they, they have to do something to keep guests interested in the interim. So, which is why December of 76, they unveil a brand new, improved version of the Jungle Cruise, which has got seven new scenes, including the, the one that the gorillas in camp scene that Mark Davis designed, and, and 31 new figures. So it's like, hey, cool, new animatronic animals in the park. You know, the sad thing is that while the mouse giveth with one four-fingered hand, he also taketh away. So two weeks after the new improved version of the Jungle Cruise opens in Adventureland, the mine train to nature's wonderland closes for good in Frontierland. And this is what I, I find genuinely intriguing and a, what a lot of Disneyland fans don't realize, that we are still at this point, January 2nd, 1977, when Mine Train through Nature's Wonderland closes. We are still five months out from the official opening of Space Mountain. Yeah. Here's Disneyland, the happiest place on Earth, beginning construction on a second major thrill ride. That's how serious Disney was about, you know, taking on its Southern California competition. It, it, it didn't even wait to see what impact Space Mountain would potentially have on, you know, its, the park's annual attendance. They just doubled down. Wow. And then, you know, to, to add to this, as soon as the Anaheim version of Space Mountain had completed its first summer of operation, the Matterhorn goes down for an eight-month-long rehab. And, and people forget these days, particularly, that when the Matterhorn first opened, 
it was basically hollow. And in fact, it, as you're zooming around inside of Disneyland's first real thrill ride, you could basically see all the structural steel that was holding the mountain up, which, which according to folks I've spoken to, made it that much more terrifying. <laughs> you know, you're you look able around, to see the weld quality, is that it? Yeah, it was just like, wow, this is mostly made out of folding chairs and coat hangers. <laughs> you know, it's like, yikes! You know, and so is that Hubba Bubba brand bubble gum holding this together? There you go, and it's so. Um, and and it, and again, what's kind of intriguing about this is that Walt had always planned on finishing the interior of the Matterhorn, filling with it with ice caves and a certain hairy beast. But because the Matterhorn was Disneyland's only thrill ride for 18 years, the Imagineers didn't wow. dare shut it down for for the sort of lengthy rehab that this sort of extensive redo would would have entailed out of fear of. You know, having the thrill ride fans riot in the park. It, it wasn't until Space Mountain opened and, uh, again on May 27th, 77. And by the way, Lynn, you would have loved this. As part of the opening ceremony, they, there was a reunion of the surviving Mercury 7 astronauts. We got oh, really? Cooper, Wally Sherrar, Scott Carpenter, John Glenn, uh, Deke Slayton, and Alan Shepard. Nice. <laughs> and they, they put them in the Space Mountain cars and then, you know, so what do you think? <laughs> it's like, it's just like the real thing. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, yeah. Except for the pressure arc, you know, the, the, the possible death from, you know, no oxygen. But it's um, exactly the same. But, yeah, that's only when Space Mountain was open could they finally take the Matterhorn down for this extensive redo, which... By the way, one of the big driving ideas behind that is they went from a single bobsled setup to the tandem bobsleds that we, we use today. And just by that one change, they increased the attraction's hourly capacity by 70%. Wow. Uh, you know, again, the cool ice caves and the abominable snowman. I, I mentioned this because there's another Disney attraction that features an abominable snowman that people believe is long overdue for a rehab. And, you know, there's a weird parallel that's going on here. I've basically been told that Expedition Everest is the Matterhorn Revisited, that since Everest is Disney Animal Kingdom's only real thrill ride, dinosaur, you might argue, it is a thrill ride, but I, mm -hmm. that will stay up. There'll be minor fixes and futzes, you know, the, the work that's, that's necessary to keep it running. But that's going to stay up and running. Till Flight of Passage, the Pandora, the World of Avatars, right in the back of a Banshee soaring yep. type attraction. When that opens in 2017, that is when the Imagineers will finally be free to go, you know, shut down Expedition. Oh, is that the plan? Okay. Yep. Lengthy rehab, and that's when they're going to attack the Yeti problem. So you got to hang in there another year and a half, two years, folks. And to be fair here, given that it took the Imagineers. 18 years to do what Walt originally wanted to do with Disneyland's Matterhorn, you know, and close the mountain and sure. the escapes the Yeti. If it takes till 2017, 2018 to finally get the Yeti working properly in Expedition Everest, mm -hmm. that's only 11 years. Yeah, years. exactly. I was going to say 11, 12 years tops. Yeah, yeah. come on. We've, <laughs> we've cut the delay here by, by 33%. <laughs> that's right. Okay. So. <laughs> All right. So you mentioned, uh, you mentioned the mine train closing. I guess that's where Big Thunder is? Yeah, yeah, and and so what's, fact, what, so sorry, what's who came up with the idea for Big Thunder? Oddly enough, you know, we'll get into this in much greater detail uh, next year when Len and I actually start tackling the chronological Disney World story. But that's actually a spinoff of the 
big, uh, the Thunder Mesa project, the thing that was supposed oh. to be built at the Magic Kingdom in place of Pirates of the Caribbean. Uh, it, this was, uh, God help us, this, this was a, a $50 million show building. And again, that's 19, in 1971 dollars that was going to have this, uh, Pirates of the Caribbean like right inside of it, Thunder Mesa. And there was also going to be a runaway train that sort of circled this mountaintop. There was going to be a Pueblo village up at the top that you could hike up to that would have a spectacular view of the entire park. I mean, it was this giant mega attraction. In fact, what's kind of ironic is that in a weird sort of way, the giant rock building, show building that's being built for the world of Pandora that's actually going to house both the nighttime boat ride through the luminescent forest and flight of passage in a weird sort of way. If you look at it the right way, especially given that, that you actually have to hike to the top of the show building in order to, to experience the flight of passage attraction, in a weird sort of way, it's Thunder Mesa all over again. Really? Yeah. So, I mean, again, that, that's one of the, the consistent aspects of Disney theme park history. Ideas don't die. The very idea of tackling that sort of thing, you know, and again, a boat ride inside of, you know, this giant mountain, just like what was going to happen with Thunder Mesa, mm-hmm. coupled with a thrill ride that basically sends you down over the cliffs, sort of like what the runaway train ride, which eventually came Big Thunder. In fact, it was Tony Baxter who had sort of been tasked. Mark Davis was doing the ride that was in the interior, the uh, the Thunder Mesa boat attraction, while Tony had been tasked with sort of doing the runaway train. And, you know, in this weird sort of moment when after the oil embargo of 73 had passed and Disney had, in response to constant guest complaints about, you know, well, where's Pirates? They, they rushed a version of Pirates in. In fact, one of the one of the things that Pirates right now is down for a pretty lengthy rehab right. in Florida. And, and, in fact, one of the reasons it's down is to address issues that, frankly, hadn't been addressed for decades about how quickly this attraction had been put in. And, you know, there was a lot of back-of-house work that was just being done on, on Pirates right now to to make sure that they can get another couple decades out of it, because this thing just flew up. But anyway, the weird thing of it was is that when the oil embargo ended and, you know, that the attendants began to creep up at Disney World, they began looking at stuff to take off the table, and they were looking at Thunder Mesa. And Tony actually proposed sort of splitting the roadway mine train ride off by itself from the mesa thing from the mesa thing to be its own attraction and for a time there was some very serious thought of maybe we should be building two thrill rides in florida that space mountain and big thunder were supposed to go in virtually in the same window and in the end the finances in, in orlando were still relatively dicey let's just go with one but at the same time here's disneyland looking at its somewhat tired mine train ride and it's like hey, that would fit in there, wouldn't it? And, you know, that's how it ended up there. Well, anyway, uh, to, to double back to Tomorrowland, so Space Mountain opens summer of 77. And, but you have to understand, this is the first indoor dark roller coaster. And there's a lot of operational issues. I mean, you know, the, four months into running the thing, they finally got it to the point 
where they were getting 32,000 guests through it a day. Wow. Okay. Now, you have to understand that's when the park's open from 8 a.m. to 1 a.m. in the morning. Okay. So okay. that's that's roughly 1,950 guests per hour. But which That's means, not a bad number. But, but when you think about it, Len, that means you're dispatching a new train. And there, there were 11 trains at, at Space Mountain at this time. Mm-hmm. Every 21 seconds. That's pretty fast. You're essentially when just you, stuffing people into the cars, not asking nope. them to get in. <laughs> no, that's it exactly. In fact, you know, when it opened in May, they had a dispatch interval of 28 to 30 seconds. And the ops people kept beating on them. You've got to get that number lower. you got to get that In fact, they weren't even happy with 21. They wanted 20 seconds. Here's the reason why they never made this number. Okay. Right from the onset, kids under three were not allowed on Space Mountain. So but, it's all right. I get it. But here's the thing. In this weird inversion of what the cast members who work out in the tickets booths deal with, you know, the, where parents are out there trying to pass off kids who are clearly over three. Oh, this is an infant. No, come on. He's, he's six months old. You know, give me the <laughs> I'm not buying a ticket for this I know he's 4'11 and he's, he's shaving, but come on. Yeah. Well, now, here's the flip side. Inside of Space Mountain, now picture this. You're in the dark. This family comes down the ramp. I, I know where you're going with this. Go ahead. <laughs> and they're holding an infant in diapers, and this is my five-year-old son. It's like, well, your five-year-old son has development issues. But they were constantly trying to pass off infants at three- to four-year-olds. And so they ended up with these really awkward, very intense conversations in the boarding area where you got to understand they're in pressure. You know, you got to get it from 21 seconds down to 20. And it's like, well, I'd love to, but these parents keep lying to me. That's what ended up happening there. And the other thing that Space Mountain, you want to talk about just the absolute luck of opening at the exact right time in the Southern California market. Mm -hmm. The attraction opens May 27th, 1977. On May 25th, you know, just two days earlier, what film opens? Star Wars. Yeah. Nice. So picture that. You know, did you go to Star Wars? You know, in the the morning, you can drive to the Disneyland and ride Space Mountain. How killer would that be? And a lot of people did. They Again, they had huge, huge, enormous lines stretching down to Main Street. and, And thank God that this was the summer that the Main Street Electrical Parade came back. So at least it was something to distract you while you were standing in that, that ridiculously long line. Wow. And, and this, this was the new version of Main Street Electrical Parade, where they went with the more dimensional floats and, and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Jumping head now to 1978. Again, the park is dealing with record crowds. We're talking on one day they had 91,000 people crammed into that park. Oh, my God. Could you imagine park. what that's like? They weren't there for Space Mountain. They weren't there for the newly reopened Matterhorn. They were there to say happy 50th birthday to a certain mouse. Mickey turns 50 in 1978, and Disney goes all out. He's the first animated character ever to get his own star on Hollywood Boulevard. There's a 90-minute long special on NBC where he receives birthday greetings from all sorts of performers, and you know, among them legendary ventriloquist Edgar Bergen, who actually died two months before the special aired. This was uh. the last thing he did. You also have noted amphibian and eventual Walt Disney acquisition, Kermit the Frog, former President Gerald Ford, and seriously, if you can believe this, O.J. Simpson. Awkward. Jumping ahead here, 78, we get the construction still going on for uh, Big Thunder Mountain. 
they're trying to reuse as much of Mind Train's in Nature's Wonderland as they possibly can. For example, the that seventh eight scale buildings that they did for Rainbow Ridge, they ended up retaining, repainting, and that mining town then becomes the area you, you walk through as you're boarding, to, you know, headed toward the load-unload area through the queue. Mm-hmm. Before I forget, the, the, the rock formations for the Disneyland of Big Thunder Mountain, uh, some of which reach 104 feet in height, uh, were actually modeled after the Hoodoo uh, rock formations from Utah's Bryce Canyon. Right. Because there's kind of a Disney tradition of having fun ride vehicles. So the six trains that they create for this thing all get interesting names. So you have I Am Brave, I Am Bold, I Be Hardy, You Are Daring, that sort of thing. Yeah. But in addition to the stuff that they save from a Mind Trains with Nature's Wonderland, Disney actually goes the extra mile to try to, to, to make this as authentic as possible. So, for example... There's real gold ore scattered around the queue area for this thing. They really? Run, yep. Rosemont, California. It costs $80 a ton, but they hauled this stuff and oh, threw it all over. Okay, so it's not gold. It's, it's all of the rocks can contain a little bit of gold ore. Okay, got it. That's it, exactly. And, you know, it, as you walk into the Disneyland version, there's this stamp mill that sits out in front of the entrance. Mm-hmm. That's the real thing, Land. They, they found this. Is it really? Yeah, it's a over a hundred year old piece of actual mining equipment found it in the middle of Mojave, Mojave Desert, and then hauled it back to Anaheim to to install at the thrill ride. But not to say that everything's real. That that little engine that you see as you you're going through the queue, mm-hmm. that's actually from a Disney movie that came out the year previous, the <laughs> Hot Blood, Cold Feet. This uh, Don Knotts, Jim Dale movie, and. When the Imagineers were on the lot, they saw it and said, can we have that for the queue? The reason the Imagineers were on the Disney lot is that's actually where a lot of the rock work for Big Thunder was built. They started off with this uh, one-inch to one-foot scale model that they proceeded to draw half-inch grids on. And then Holy they, cow. Yeah. Then they cut the model into one-inch square slices, which they then used to extrapolate it out to these six-foot square chunks of steel, which they then cover with rebar and yeah. lathe and pull with concrete. And then they shipped that out to Anaheim with another Skyhorse crane, winch this thing into place, and then lock it down, and then cement over the seam, and then paint it. You know, now, and, now that that's, uh, that's all computerized, that there's a, uh, there's well, a, a computer that'll bend the wire? That's it exactly. I mean, just when you think about how hands-on they had to be with this. But at the same time, it was such a step forward from the way they'd done the mountainscape for the Matterhorn. I just find it intriguing that during this, just as sort of a tryout for this, they were doing um, a lot of the rebar and lathe work inside of the Matterhorn for the ice caverns. And they were doing it in during the rainy season of January of 78 or thereabouts and immediately came back, okay, we're not going to make that mistake again. And they just ended up, you know, taking over an empty soundstage at Disney and were able to, to make all of these chunks that then got drove down to Anaheim. When you understand that a lot of early Disneyland in 54 and 55 was actually built on the lot as well, there's a nice bit of little creative symmetry there. Oh, so that's nice. The problem is it's such a complex project, and the eventual launch of Big Thunder slides from spring of 79 to summer of 79 to finally they, they only managed to get the thing open on September 2nd, which is basically after Disneyland's ended its summer season for that year. But even so, it had a nice corona effect going into the year of 1980, which was the 25th anniversary 
of Disneyland. So Disney already started bumping attendance for people coming up to check out their latest thrill ride. And the people who came to the park actually got to see a wonderful 25th anniversary parade. And there was the first of Disney's after-hours parties. that They actually held a hard-ticket event that was 25 hours long. And this was... You know, sort of the the precedent for the the events we've seen them roll out, you know, for leap year and that sort of thing now. Uh, Oh, another thing kind of intriguing. 1980 was the first year that Disney teamed up with Make-A-Wish. Really? 1980? Yeah. In fact, the very first wish was for seven-year-old Frank Bobsey Salazar, who... Uh, appropriately enough, wanted a uh, a trip to Disneyland, and so they were able to honor that. And speaking of people making trips to Disneyland, uh, as part of the park's 25th anniversary, 30 former Mouseketeers actually reunited at the park in the fall of that year uh, for for, uh, a 25th anniversary of celebration of the Mickey Mouse Club, which which shared a birth date with Disneyland. And just last month at the, the D23 Expo, Seven of these performers actually made the, uh, to be specific, Sherry L. Baroni, uh, Sharon Baird, Bobby Burgess, Tommy Cole, Darlene Gesby, Cubby O'Brien, who's still drumming, and Doreen Tracy. They traveled to Anaheim, and, and they uh, made an appearance at the, at the expo. It's kind of nice to see 35 years after the fact that these they could still perform. Anyway, uh, jumping ahead here, so 80 gives way to 81. Mm-hmm. Disneyland Park still going great guns. Uh, this was the year the park saw its 200th million visitor, one Gerd Chavez of uh, Santa Barbara, California, pushes through the turnstiles on January 8th, 81. What did they and get for 200, being the 200 millionth? They got a lifetime pass. Uh, they got a, a weird little version of Disneyland Castle under sort of a bell jar. They were feted, you know, throughout the park for the day. But mm-hmm. it just, you know, I mean, he, this guy and his his wife and his two kids just, you know, showed up in the park, and you know, suddenly it's like, why is there a red carpet? Yeah, <laughs> there's <just> balloons. <laughs> it's like, oh, 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 okay. But yeah, I mean, he, he saw a pretty good looking park because you know, at this point, you know, from July seventeenth, nineteen fifty five, to January eighth, nineteen eighty one. The Walt Disney Company had poured $210 million into the park. So think about it. They've had 200 million visitors, but they've they spent you know, $210 million building this park. So it's more than a dollar per visitor, you know, that's ever come through the thing. And that year, they actually, they upped the ante. This is when they invest another $46.2 million in the park. That's the amount in stock, Disney stock that they swapped with the Walt Disney family for Redlar Enterprises. You, you may remember when we were talking about the early 60s when mm-hmm. Walt and Roy had that horrible, horrible fight right. over who controlled you know, the, the part of the company that actually built the theme park rides and operated the monorail and the train station. These were, Walt viewed these as personal pieces of property. Right, and there was a shareholder complaint that this was a, a potentially a conflict of interest, that Disneyland was paying Walt's company to build the rides, right? That's it, exactly. Okay. And so, uh, picture this, it takes them 20 years to finally resolve this. jeez. Oh, but in the end, the company gets back the ownership rights to the Disneyland monorail and steam railroad system, more to the point they get the rights to use Walt's name and likeness. And so this is something that, like we said, you know, two decades they've been fighting to get this done. So, But now, finally, the happiest place on earth is under the total control of the Walt Disney Company. Should have been a golden time. They've done 
two brand new thrill rides in five years, and and they now dominate the Southern California market. More to the point, Matterhorn's been retooled. You've upped the capacity there. Some stuff that Walt himself, uh, you may recall when we were talking about the Tencennial of Disneyland, that Walt talked about his future plans for the parks, and one of the ideas was he wanted to redo Fantasyland. And is, you know, 1980 gives way to 1981. The Imagineers, you know, it's like, yeah, let's, let's do that. We've got, we've, we've handled the thrill ride market. Let's, let's add an extra layer of detail. Let's improve the fantasy land dark rides. It also appealed to parents too, right? I mean, no, parents, parents who can't bring their kids on, on the thrill rides. Yeah, that's it exactly. So, uh, December 18th, 1991, uh, you know, the first attraction goes down that, that they take the fantasy land theater and gut it. It all looks like Disney management at the time is in complete control. That that you know that it's, it's nothing but gold coming up ahead. And as you'll find out, as you know, we begin the next installment of the series, uh, where we go from '82 to '87. Mm-hmm. Nothing could be further from the truth. In fact, if you love twists and turns on thrill rides, you know you're going to love what happens to the Walt Disney Productions, which is soon to become the Walt Disney Company. Is we see a complete management change. Uh, more to the point, we see the sorts of rides that nobody could ever have anticipated, you know, coming into a Disney theme park. Yeah. So if you like like Michael Jackson or Star Wars, you probably want to circle back on the next installment here. That's so. fantastic. So this last five years, we did a Jungle Cruise, yep. uh, Big Thunder, Space Mountain, mm-hmm. Matterhorn yep. Refurbishment, Mm-hmm. And and New Fantasyland, wow! And and uh, sorry, and uh, Fantasyland uh, uh, refurb. <laughs> you know, the irony is, you know, here's Disneyland with a new Fantasyland, and here's the board of directors dealing with a whole new reality in Hollywood. We'll get that to the next installment. Fantastic! All right, Jim, thanks very much for the uh, for that update. This was great. You've been listening to the unofficial guide Disney Dish podcast with Jim Hill. Please go on to iTunes and Stitcher and rate our show. And tell us what you would like to hear next. In fact, our second show for this month is a user-submitted subject, which we'll talk about in a couple weeks, right, Jim? Yeah, we will. All right. Hey, guys, thanks for listening to the show. We will see you on the next show. Take care.